All right, Shabbos say good morning. Let us begin. A beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Chav Dalit. We are picking up on Chav Gimel Amud Beis, and we left off at the two dots. Um, two, four, six, eight, nine lines up from the bottom on Chav Gimel Amud Beis, 23 share This morning is dedicated by our Talmud Torah sponsor for the month of Adar Beis. This is Soul dedicating the Shurim and Joshua's this month in honor of all those who helped to make a meaningful and uplifting, groundbreaking. We thank Leah for her dedication and generosity. And I'll with that, let us begin. So the Gemara says, Shnaim Shekid Shushteachayos. So let's remember again, we are continuing with the Mishnah that we saw on the top of Chav Gimel Amad Beis that gave us quite a number of fascinating and exciting and strange cases. Remember, again, we started with a very simple baseline case, which was an individual, oh, simple, you know, it's amazing how your bummers changes your perceptions of what's simple and straightforward. So again, we started with the case ultimately of the man who was Makadesh, a woman, one of two sisters, just unsure which sister. Every one of the subsequent cases branched out from that. So we went from that to a case where he was alive to a case where he passed away, had a surviving brother. We then went ahead and kind of branched out from that into two brothers, two, or I should say two men, excuse me, two men to two sisters. Two men with brothers, two brothers, one brother, two brothers, two brothers, everything built out from that first case. It says, the Gimara, so we'll say now the Gimara is going in and darshing on the second case. I will say the Gemara tries to reach the same conclusion that it mentioned in the beginning of this Gemara in yesterday's daf, which is, interestingly enough, in a lot of these cases, these are marriages, right? These are relationships that cannot be consummated, in which relations would be usher, for the fear that the woman you're having relations with is not actually your wife, but rather is who? Is rather the sister of your wife. Yet, the Mishnah terms these relationships as effective forms of kiddush, effective forms of marriage. So you see from here that even a relationship which cannot result in relations is still considered to be a complete marriage. To which the says, no, 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 same answer like we gave before. What's the case? The case is where there was a moment of clarity that the man knew which woman was his wife. Just subsequently, the ambiguity set in and then there was confusion meaning that there was a moment where there was clarity as to who was married to who. Because of that, there was a moment in which the marriage was solidified and concretized. And again, the confusion only sets in later on. For again, the diuk to this is, the Mishnah says, he doesn't know. between the word not knowing, and something not known. Shmamino. So both say see from here that Allah there was a moment of clarity, and then subsequently the ambiguity and confusion set in. Because there was a moment of clarity, therefore this is what's called Kidushin Hamasurin Libya, ultimately marriage which can result in relations, and therefore Allah would be a proper marriage. You might come So both say it's the same lesson as the first part of the Mishnah, or is the same it's the same idea, different case, but same Yisod. So why do you have to repeat it? So the Gemara says, Because we both say the latter case in the Mishnah is necessary. What was the latter case? Mesu. Mesu. If the two men in question passed away, right? The two, the two men were Makadish, the sisters. It's not clear who was Makadishu. Mesu. One, one brother left behind, one man left behind one surviving brother. One man left behind two surviving brothers. Hayochid cholitz l'shtehen, the one who has the one brother, the one brother does chalitza with both of the women. Echad cholitz ve'echad miyabim. Bashnaim, and the other side, the two other, the two surviving brothers of the second guy, ultimately one does chalitza, one does yipum. So pshita, hainereisha, it's the same, we'll say, the mechanics of the mission, like we saw in yesterday's daf, are the same mechanics. The cases become more convoluted and complicated, but the mechanics, the principles are the same. So, what would you have thought? You might have thought that in a case where ultimately we go ahead and we allow one of the surviving brothers to go ahead and do yibum, perhaps we should be concerned that the second brother from the other side will also do yibum. And as you saw in yesterday's death, that would be problematic. Kamashman, we're not concerned about that. The dafko, 
Michlots Bahadur Yibumi. However, the proper order, again, as we saw in yesterday's daf, has to be that first Chalitza has to occur, and then only afterwards Yibum. Aval Yibumi Bereisha Lo Dikapaga Biyavam Alashok. But Aloch Alamaisa, the brother, the, the option of Yibum cannot be exercised before Chalitza because of the concern that ultimately, again, perhaps a brother who's not really the Yavam will end up having relations with this woman, in which case he's had relations with a woman who ultimately, again, is standing for Yibum. Fine. L'zeshnaim or l'zeshnaim. We'll say now, just go to the last case in the Mishnah. Last case in the Mishnah was, what if each brother, each man, left behind two surviving brothers. So we'll say, remember again, on your chart from yesterday's daf, on your chart from yesterday's daf, this was, this was table C. This was table C. This is where, again, you have Reuven and Gershon. Reuven and Gershon ultimately married Rachel and Leah. There was some ambiguity as to who married who. They passed away. Each of them go ahead and leave behind two surviving brothers. So effectively, what ends up happening over here is each brother does chalitza with one one woman, yibum with another woman. But the yibum, the woman they do yibum with, was the woman whom the brother on the other side did chalitza with. Again, you can just follow along with all of the arrows. So it says the Gemara, Hasulamali. Why do I need this additional case? The Gemara says, this is the same. Again, I both say, the principles are the principles, right? They're all, they're all the same. They're all the same Yisodos. So, perhaps you should be concerned that maybe one of the brothers will do Yibum before Chalitza was performed. So, the Gemara says, we're not concerned about that. Why is this different than another case? So, so what about the following case? Four brothers, two of whom are married to two sisters, and then they die. So what's Talaha? Hanasunas, I'm sorry, Umesunasunasachas. The brothers married to the married to the brothers married to the sisters pass away. What's Talaha? Hare ilu cholzos philomisyapmos. These brothers must ultimately do chalitza and cannot do yibum. Now, I will say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says it's uh it's two, four, six lines up from the bottom, right at the end of the line. Rashi says, So we'll say, actually, Rashi's bringing our attention now to another point. In our Mishnah, if you remember again, in all of these cases, the Mishnah outlines a procedure. And let's say, for example, in this last case over here, the Mishnah outlines the Yisod, that Halacha has to occur before Yibum. Yet, the Mishnah said that if the brothers went ahead and married these women, we would not go ahead and remove them. We would not force them to divorce. The Gemara says that's interesting, because Halacha in another case, of the four brothers, two of whom who went ahead and married two sisters, and then the brothers married to the sisters passed away. And also, so what, what's the aloha? The aloha is the surviving brothers have to do chalitza, not evil. In that case, if the surviving brothers married, married these women, halacha, I say, would force them to, to give a get. Why is that different than this case over here? To which the Gemara says is very simple. The Gemara says, uh, in this case over here, the problem over here, or the problem in that case over there, I should say, the Arba Achin, is if you pass in Yesh Zeka, which was Machlokis we had last week, right? Ultimately, remember the Machlokis Yesh Zeka, a fundamental Machlokis about what is the nature of a bond between the Yavam and the Yavama. Ultimately, again, when a brother passes away and he leaves behind, he doesn't have children, and he leaves behind a widow, what is the relationship of his widow to his surviving brother? If you hold, now, now let's be clear, everyone agrees that what? That there is a connection between the two of them. What's the machlokas? What's the machlokas? Is there a marital bond, a quasi-marital bond between those two individuals, between the surviving brother and the widow? When we say yesh zeka, what that means is not only is there a bond, 
But there's a quasi-marital bond that exists there. So even yesh zeka, yesh zeka, supposedly the problem with the case of Daladachin is, and again, we're going to see that case in depth. Halach lemain, say if you hold yesh zeka, then ultimately there's a zeka, there's a connection there. yavmin, yavmin. And I will say, if you hold it halach lemaisa, it is prohibited to go ahead and negate the mitzvah of Yipom, then that applies over here as well. Take a look at Rashi. Tap Rashi, we're going to see that we'll see this case more in depth but any time unilateral action on behalf of one of the brothers has the ability to go to on behalf of the other we don't want to take such action we're going to see this case of Dalit Achin inside a little bit more so the Gemar says the reason why, even though we outline certain procedures, if the brothers ended up, each of them ended up marrying one of these women. So the reason we don't go ahead and force them to get divorced is why. I will say, what could they, so let's play this out. I will say, plug it into any one of these cases in Mishnah. Right, so even if you just take a look at this last case, take a look at this last case, right? So remember again, table C. So remember again, it's a very detailed process. You have Levi, right? I should say, Shimon has to do Chalitza with Rachel. Kehas does Chalitza with Leah. I'm in table C, row number three, that allows Merari to do Yibam with Rachel and Levi to do, to do Yibam with Leah. Good, we saw those mechanics yesterday. So now what does the Mishnah say at the end of the day? If let's say what ends up happening over here is that Levi, you know, Shimon, Shimon does Yibam with Rachel, let's say for argument's sake, and Kehas does Yibam with Leah. Right? So remember, as much as you're not supposed to do that, the Mishnah says, if they did it, we don't force them to get divorced. Why not? Why not, they're both saying? Because what could each of the brothers respond? What could they respond? I'm doing the mitzvah yibum. And I will say, what are we unable to do? Tell them that they're wrong. In other words, these are cases of suffolk. These are cases of suffolk. So because they're cases of suffolk, we try to navigate the suffolk by taking all of these different steps, and we try to eliminate the doubt and create certain facts. But Lamaisa, if one of the brothers or both of the brothers were to take unilateral action and marry any of these women in question, the problem is we can't force them to get divorced because Halach Lamaisa, they can claim, and we can't disprove it, they can claim that Halach Lamaisa, I'm just doing Yibam with my brother's widow. Okay. So the says, keep moving in, so in Motsian. So we'll say, so just to analyze this last piece. So therefore the Mishnah said, in these cases, if one of the brothers went ahead, or if both of the brothers went ahead and married these women, so we don't force them to get divorced. Listen to this. Tani Shila Vafidu Shnem Kohanim. say this is true even if what? Even if Halakhalamaisa they are Kohanim. Now look at Rashi for just a moment. Kohanim. So we'll say, so Jen, just looking at any of these tables, let's take a look at C. Just let's, let's keep focused on table C, line three. So remember again, in table C, line three, you have a very specific way to deal with these complicated relationships, right? I need Levi, I need Shimon doing Chalitza with Rachel, Kahaz doing Chalitza with Leah, then Levi has the ability, should he want, to do Yibum with Leah, and Merari has the ability to do Yibum with Rachel. Okay, that's the way this case is set up. Now we'll say, but, the Mishnah said, if Halach said they did not follow this procedure, and on each side, one of the brothers married one of the women, ultimately, again, we don't force them to get divorced. The Gemara now adds in, by the way, this is true, even if what? Now we'll say, let's say both Levi and Shimon, and Kahas and Merari are all Kohanim. Are all Kohanim. We still won't make them get divorced. Now, say, now, what's novel about that? Let's play this out for just a moment. So let's say, let's say we go ahead and Levi goes ahead and marries one of these. So we'll say, these, remember, there's been Yibum, there's been Chalitza. Well, actually, take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Filushtem Kohanim, Vechad Menehu Vadai Chalutza Nasiv, Deho Arusas Hanochri Chalutza Hi Me'echad Mishne Echav, Kedik Tani Kid Mushtaim Bechiltzu. 
We'll say, now listen to this. So the Mishnah says, even if their brother is married, we would not make them go ahead and divorce their wives. Now we'll say, what that sounds like is, let's say even in a case where on one side, one of the brothers did chalitza, and on the other side, right? we'll say, let's say for argument's sake, let's take a look, C3, C3 again. Let's say in this case, Kahas and Merari, both do chalitza with Rachel and Leah. Let's say for argument's sake, they both do chalitza with Rachel and Leah. And now let's say, say Shimon comes along and marries one of these women. Shimon is a Kohen. So the Mishnah says, even though Shimon's a Kohen, we let, and he married her, he, we don't, we shouldn't, he shouldn't have married her, but he married her, we don't force them to get divorced. Right? Now both say, the novelty in that is, Shimon, who's a Kohen, is married to a woman who what? Maybe a Chalutza. Maybe a Chalutza. To which the Gemara says something amazing. So the Gemara Taima, Chalutza dirabanani. Because the prohibition for a coin to marry a chalutza is only a dirabanan. It's only a dirabanan. Now Rashi says, Furthermore, I'm sorry, before you get to Rashi, And I will say, remember again, this isn't, so this isn't just a case of chalutza. What is this a case of? Safek chalutza. So say, even though Chazal were gozer and said a Kohen can't marry a Chalutza, Chazal were never gozer to say that a Suffolk Kohen, sorry, a Kohen can't marry a Suffolk Chalutza. And this is a case of Suffolk Chalutza. Look at Rashi. Midra Bananu, Bahachadul Chalchad, Ina Ella Suffolk, Tishema Zayibim Esivim Togimura, Lo Gazra Banalafkuha, Lo Lafuka, Mi Suffolk. Several will say, because this is a case of Safi Chalutza, therefore Chazal did not say that the coin husband has to go ahead and divorce her. So, one second. The Chalutza de Rabbanani, is that true? It's only an Isra de Rabbanan for a coin to marry a Chalutza? So, the Gemara says, Vatanya, we learned, Gerusha, only Ela Grusha. When the Pasik says that a coin can't marry a divorcee, I only know divorcee means divorcee. Chalutza minayin, how do I know that a coin also can't marry a Chalutza? Talmud Lomar, Vi'isha. So we'll say, ultimately, again, the Pasuk says, Vi'isha. So remember, again, the Pasuk is, Vi'isha, Zona V'chalala Lo'ikach, Vi'isha, Gerusha. We'll say, why does it have to say, Vi'isha, Gerusha? Let it just say, Gerusha. So the Gemara Darshan's Vi'isha comes to teach me that even a Chalutza, which I will say, sounds like the Isra Chalutza is what? Is what? Is Daraisa. If it's Daraisa, then even if it's a Safek Chalutza, what should be the Halacha? He should have to divorce her. Safek Daraisa L'Chumra. To which the Gemara says, so ukras We will say ultimately again, no, it is a dirabanan. It is a dirabanan. Is it a dirabanan for a coin to marry a chalutza? And I, the presence of the pasuk is only an asmachta. Right? Ultimately, again, we see this many times that Chazal go ahead and like to link their particular ruling to a pasuk in the Torah. So I will say, so a fascinating conclusion to this sugya. Someone we learn halach. Let say again, the iser for a coin to marry a chalutza is only dirabanan. I, what about the pasuk? The pasuk is an asmachta, which is why in the Mishnah, as much as the Mishnah wants us to follow all of these mechanics for taking care of these cases of ambiguity, if the brothers on either side were to take unilateral action and marry these women, we would not make them get divorced, even if they were kohanim, because chalutza is only dirabanan, and suffik chalutza is totally permitted. This is important you saw it also. So chalutza is an isha dirabanan, but a case of suffik chalutza is totally permitted to the coin. Beautiful. They both say, new Mishnah. New Mishnah. Back to the mechanics a little bit more of Yibum. This is a really great sugya, a really great sugya ahead of us. Mishnah, mitzvah begadol yabim v'imkinei hakatan zacham. So we'll say, Mishnah says, halacha l'maysa, the mitzvah of yibum is upon the gadol. Now I will say, we're going to discuss exactly what this term means. But for our purposes, let's say that the mitzvah of yibum is upon the oldest brother. Oldest brother. Ultimately, again, if the oldest brother, let's say the younger brother jumped in, right? And he performed Yibom. Literally, again, he swooped in, he performed Yibom before his older brother had a chance to decide what it was he was going to do. That's an effective Yibom. That Yibom works. Good. So we'll say, turn Bachar. So remember again, we'll say the Pasik, the Pasik says as follows. So here's what's interesting. The Torah says the Bachar, the firstborn who will be born, firstborn who is born, ultimately again will stand in the name of the deceased brother. 
So now watch this. Mikan shemitzvah begadol liyabin. Then I will say, this is fascinating. See, when you read this Pasuk, I will say, the way you could read this Pasuk is referring to the child who is born from the Yibum union. Right? The Bechar, the firstborn child from this Yibum relationship, ultimately, again, will be there, right? Yakum al-Shem Achiv Hames will go ahead and essentially stand in place of the deceased brother, for the Yimacha Shemomi Yisrael, and his name will not be erased from Klal Yisrael. The way the Gemara's darshan in this Pasuk Rabbi is, interestingly enough, it's not a reference to the child that's born. Rather, who is it a reference to? The brother who's doing Yibom, which is fascinating. So therefore, Rabbi what do you see from here? You see from here that it is a mitzvah for the Godel, for the oldest brother, to go ahead and do Yibom. Asher Teilet. What do we learn from Asher Tele that will be born? Prat la island is she'en yolades. Rabbi says this comes to exclude if halacha the widow, is an islandist. Right? So we're talking about islandist extensively. This is a woman who's not only barren, but a woman who, who does not physically mature to the ability to have children. So if the widow is an islandist, there's no mitzvah of yibum, Because the entire point of yibum is ultimately, again, to produce children. If we know that she cannot have children, there's no yibum relationship. Yakum al-shem achiv. Ultimately, again, he will stand on the, in the, in this, essentially in the place of his brother, name of his brother, Lenachala. That ultimately refers to inheritance. That I've said, the brother who does yibum inherits his brother, inherits the deceased brother Entirely. Entirely. Well, this is very important you sowed. So if you could imagine for a moment going back to our going back to our old cases, right? When Ruvain passes away, when Ruvain passes away, and Halakhalamaisa again, he goes ahead and he leaves behind the widow Rachel, but no children. And he leaves behind brothers, right? Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. So what we're seeing over here is from the word Bachar, the oldest brother should do Yibum. That's Aleph. Bays, right? Asher Teilid. Only do Yibam if Rachel is capable of having children, to our knowledge. Right? See, Ash Yakumas Shem Achiv, the brother who does Yibam inherits the deceased brother in, 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 in his entirety. In other words, the Yerusha of Ruvain is not divided amongst anyone. The entire, the entire Nachal, the entire inheritance goes to the brother who does Yibam. We're going to see, by the way, well, let, let's go on. So the Gemara says, So the Nachala, Atom the Nachala, in all the shame, had, well, maybe it's not Nachala. How do you know it's Nachala? How do you know it's inheritance? Maybe it's talking about a name. Meaning what? The Gemara says, Shalashem, Yosef, Koran, Osa, Yosef. Yochanan, Koran, Osa, Yochanan. Maybe I will say what it means is that Allah, when Ruvain, the surviving brother, does Yibam, and then they have a child, then what? And maybe that child has to be named for the deceased brother. Maybe that's what it means. It doesn't mean inheritance. Rather, it means naming rights. To which the Gemara says, Neymar kan yokum al-shim achiv. says over here, by yibum, yokum al-shim achiv. He will stand in the place of his brother. Neymar lahalon al-shim achihem yikaru b'nachalosam. And above say the Pasik says, the Pasik says, al-shim achihem. Ultimately, I will say this is actually by, this is by, um, this is by Yaakov Avinu and Parshas Vayichi. Ultimately, again, when he's giving, when he's giving the brachas to Menashe and Ephraim, he tells Yosef, Menashe and Ephraim will be shvatim, but any other children that you may have will be absorbed into these existing tribes. In other words, he's telling Yosef, if you have any more kids, your kids don't become shvatim, right? They become absorbed. See, see over here the same lashon. Just like Rabbi said, the shame in Bereshis is talking about inheritance. So to over here by Yibum, when the Pasuk says that ultimately, again, the brother will stand in the place, right? Will be called in the name of his deceased brother. It means inheritance. It means inheritance. And I will say again, ultimately, again, his name will not be erased. It's talking about the deceased brother. This is very interesting. What happens if Ruvain, Ruvain, the now deceased brother, was sterile? And we know he was sterile. He could not have children. 
There is no mitzvah of yibum in that situation. Why? Because I'm say the mitzvah of yibum is to is to create a scenario where the brother, the deceased brother's name, will not be forgotten, so to speak. But the Gemara says if the deceased brother Ruvain was unable to have children already from the beginning, that means he was his his legacy was never going to be perpetuated in the form of a family. In the form of a family. Therefore, again, there's no mitzvah of yibum. Another Zerbo said, what you begin to see is that the mitzvah of yibum is essentially to be able to do for the deceased brother what he could not have done for himself or what he can no longer do for himself. But if halacha lemaisa, this reality, these, these, in other words, if in reality a family was never within reach for this now deceased brother, there's no mitzvah of yibum. What does it mean a family was not in reach? It can mean one of two things. Either he was married to a woman who wasn't capable of having children, or he himself wasn't capable of having children. Under those circumstances, the Gemara says there is no mitzvah of Yibum. A really incredible Yisod. So let's listen to this. Rava says in general, throughout the entire Torah, even though a Pasuk is to be understood as it's written, Right? A Pasuk does not leave its simple meaning. Right? In other words, when you look at a Pasuk, you interpret it in a most simple, straightforward way. Yet I will say over here, the Pasuk goes at the Xero Shava. I will say the Xero Shava that we just spoke about, which is the Xero Shava of, of shame, shame. It says ultimately again by Yipum. Yakum al Shem Achiv, and it says by the sons of Yosef. I'm sorry, and it says by and it says by the sons of Yosef. Al Shem We say just like Shem by Yosef refers to inheritance Nachala, so to Shem by Yibum ultimately applies to Nachala. So we'll say all Rav is pointing out is wow, that's fascinating because the Pashup Shat in the Pasuk is what? What's the Pashup Shat? That when you do Yibum. Right, Ruvain does Yibum with Shimon's widow. Right, and what or should I say, Shimon does Ru, Shimon does Yibum with Ruvain's widow. That Halacha they have a child. What is the pasuk telling me? What is the pasuk telling me that you should name the son what? Ruvain. That's what. That's the pasuk in the pasuk. Name the child that comes from the Yibum union after the brother that passed away. Yet the Gzeir Shava removes the pasuk Pshat from this pasuk and makes it talk about inheritance. To which the Gemara says, "We love Gzeir Shava. We're not for the Gzeir Shava. Hava Amina Shame, Shame Mamish. I would have thought that when the pasuk says, ultimately Yakum Al Shame Achiv, it literally means that when there is a Yibum union and that union produces a son, that son should be named for the deceased brother. That's Pashat Pshat. The Gzeir Shava tells me." That name, shame, doesn't mean shame. doesn't mean name. What does it mean? What does it mean? Inheritance. It means nachla. To which the Gemara says, Leman, so the Gemara says, Laman Rachmana. Ultimately, again, who is the Torah addressing? Liyavam. The ultimately, again, the Torah is talking to the brother ultimately who does Yibum. Right? Rashi says over here, Liyavam, Kam Rachmana, Ben Anola, Lecha, Yakum Hashem Achicha, so the Gemara says, "Yakom Hashem Achicha Mibayle." So ultimately, I will say, "So who is who is the who is the Torah talking to?" If it's the Yavam, does the Torah need to tell this to the, the Torah? Should say, "Yakom Hashem Achicha Mibayle." So I will say, "Here, here's the problem." Now we just established that Yakom, the pasuk that says "Yakom Hashem Achiv," ultimately again is referring to Nachla. So who is the Torah addressing? If the Torah is talking to the Yavam, the surviving brother, then it should say what? Yakum Hashem Achicha. Right? But he should stand in the place of your brother. So the Gemara says, So Yakum Hashem, I'm sorry, Yakum Hashem Achicha mi baile. Ila Beidina, if it's talking to the Beisdin, then Yakum Hashem Achi Aviv mi baile. So again, it's talking to the Beisdin and giving Beisdin instructions about what to do. It shouldn't have said, Yakum HaShem Achiv, but rather again, it should have said, Yakum HaShem Achi Aviv. Maybe this is what the Torah is saying to the Beisdin. Maybe this is what the Torah is saying to the Beisdin. 
maybe it's ultimately saying to the Yavam, ultimately you Yavam, go ahead and stand in place of your brother. There will say the Gzir Shava comes along and the Gzir Shava totally just removes everything from the Pashib Shat. And I both say what the Gzir Shava teaches us is it has nothing to do with names, but rather everything to do with Nachala. And telling us that what? That Allah again, the brother who does Yibum, ultimately stands in the place of his brother to fully inherit the deceased brother. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, Hashta de Ka'amrit now that you're telling me that, so we'll say now we're jumping back. Because remember, again, we got a little bit of a tangent. What's the topic of the Mishnah? What's the topic of the Mishnah? Who does Yibum? Who does Yibum? What did the Mishnah say? Who does Yibum? Who does Yibum? The Gadol, the oldest. So let's go back for a second. How do we know that? Because the Pasuk says, V'haya habachar. Right? The Pasuk says, V'haya habachar. V'haya habachar she'teleit yakom ha'shiv achim. So here's what's interesting. The Gemara is darshaning that Bachar is a reference to the oldest brother for Yibum. The oldest brother should be the one who does Yibum. So the Gemara said, listen to this. Now that you tell me that Bechar refers to the oldest brother, that he should do Yibum. So the Gemara says, So listen to this. Maybe the Pasuk means like this. Maybe the only time that we do Yibum is when? When it's the Bechar, literally again, the oldest brother in the family. In other words, Rabbi saying that maybe the mitzvah of Yibum only applies to a Bechar. But if it's anyone other than the Bechar, maybe there's no mitzvah of Yibum. Right? After all, the Torah does use Lashon of Bechar. So I'll say, it's a fascinating Havamina. So Pashat, Rabbi in this case, Pashat means any brother who's not the Bechar, perhaps shouldn't do Yibum. We'll say if that's the case, then why do we have to go through a whole drasha, right? To go ahead and exclude what we call non-concurrent brothers, right? A brother who is born, right? A brother who is born after the, the deceased brother passed away. Because we'll say if that's the case, you don't have to exclude him from Yibum. Why don't you have to exclude him from Yibum? Why not? Because he's not a Bukhar. He can't be a Bukhar. To which the Gemara says, Parakrav Acha ve'ema lemi'ute bukhra di'ima. Maybe he comes to exclude again a maternal brother. That doesn't make sense. Ha'hu lo matis amrit di'yibum menachal talachmona. We'll say that can't be. Because remember again, Yibum in Yibum as a whole is dependent on inheritance. And inheritance, of course, is a function of paternal relationship. Inheritance is only but paternally, not maternally. When both say, maybe it literally means, again, this is an incredible havamina. Maybe it literally means that when there is a Bechar, there's a Mitzvah of Yibum. And when there's no Bechar, what? What? No Mitzvah of Yibum. That's it. It does. Both say, remember again, as strange as this sounds, we have to acknowledge the fact that the Torah frames the, the mitzvah as, as v'haya habachar. And again, I will say, here's what's amazing. Until this morning at 5.55 a.m. when we got to this sugya, I thought that this passage was referring to the child from the Yibom Union. The Gemara is telling us that no, it actually refers to the Yavam himself. And it's calling the Yavam the Bechar. So maybe what it's telling me is that the Mitzvah of Yibam is only on a Bechar. I will say, by the way, we have concepts like that of Mitzvahs that are only on a Bechar. Like, for example, right? So first of all, Pishnayim. Pishnayim, right? The Bechar has a different law of inheritance. What else? So you, you have concepts like that. That halacha again. That halacha right? That, so maybe the mitzvah of Yibum is only on a Bechar. And if there is no Bechar, there could be no Bechar in a variety of situations. How can you have no Bechar? If the Bechar dies, right? If the Bechar dies, or again, for a variety of reasons, maybe someone doesn't have the designation of Bechar. Maybe there's no Yibum. The Pasuk says one of the brothers dies. So I will say, what's interesting is, the way the Torah frames Yibom is, One of them dies. Now what does that mean, one of them dies? What does that mean? Right? One of them dies means, the mitzvah of Yibom is triggered by what? The death of any of the brothers. Any, including the Bukhar. Right? Any of the brothers, including the Bechar. So the Gemara says, Milo, Milo Askinan the Misbechar. Could we not be talking about a case of where the Bechar died? And the, and the Torah is telling us, someone's got to do Yibum. 
even a younger brother. Maybe not. Maybe the Torah is talking about a case where a younger brother died, and the Torah is telling the Bechar, you do yibum. So the Gemara says, ultimately, again, I, but the Torah excluded the case of non-concurrent brothers. Maybe the Torah is telling me the following. Fine, so we'll say, so let, let's acknowledge that maybe there is a mitzvah of Yibam, even when there is, even, even, when, even not the Bechar. There's a mitzvah even upon all the brothers. But maybe the emphasis on Bechar, Bosei, teaches me the following. Listen to this. Maybe, she will say, what are the, see, maybe like this. When there is a Bechar, when there is no Bechar, if a younger brother came along and did Yibam, it works. But if there is a Bechar, and a younger brother tried to do Yibam, then what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Maybe let's say that. Amakra, ki yeshvu achim yachdov. The way the Torah frames the mitzvah of Yibum is that there are brothers who are living together. Huksha yeshivas achim zeloze. The Torah compares the brothers one to the other. And therefore telling us, Rabbi say that essentially from a Yimov obligation perspective, all of them are on the same level. They all have the mitzvah. There may be a difference in precedence but Lamaisa, they're all in the parsha of the mitzvah of Yibum. Ve'ema ki ike b'char lehadra gadol, ki leka b'char ein chosrin eitzel gadol. Aye, so maybe you'll say that Allah Lamaisa, when there is a b'char, ultimately again, that's when we give precedence to the oldest brother. But maybe if there is no b'char, ultimately we don't give precedence to the oldest brother. In other words, we'll say, so maybe the, maybe the din of b'char teaches me, if there's Mamish the firstborn and he's one of the brothers, he gets the first right, so to speak, of Yibum. But Lamaise, if there's no Bukhar, maybe we, we don't look for like the oldest brother after that. And perhaps we just give no, we, we don't, we don't leave any focus to precedence. The Gemara says, well, that's not true. Alama Tani Abai Kashisha, Mitzvah Begadol Liyabim. That also is a very important statement. The Mitzvah of Yibum is upon the oldest brother. That will say, that means oldest, even if what? Even if what? He's not the Bukhar. Which I both say, by the way, you could have in a variety of different cases. The simplest way you have this is how? Is how? The Bukhar died. Right? Or for that matter, again, the Bukhar is the deceased brother. Or however you have it. Abaye says the way Yibam works is that the mitzvah of Yibam always devolves upon the oldest brother first. If at the end of the day, lo ratza, if the oldest brother doesn't want to, I will say, now doesn't want, doesn't want, then we go to the younger brother. If the younger brother, lo ratza, will say, so let's say you go through all the brothers and no one wants to do yibum, chosrin eitzel gadol. We go back to the oldest brother. And I will say, what does it mean go back to the oldest brother? We say, oldest brother, listen now, you have to do something. Right? It's yibum or chalitza. So essentially what we do is, according to Abayah, and it's really fascinating, we start with the oldest brother. Say, oldest brother, you have a mitzvah of yibum. Oldest brother, I don't want to do yibum. Okay? We go down the order of brothers. If no one wants to do yibum, we then come back to oldest brother. We say, okay, oldest brother, you have to make it this. You have to do something. You have to do something. Yibum or chalitza. But ultimately, again, the buck stops with you with this. You have to take action. So the Gemara says, ki bachar. Ma bachar bacharas garmalo. So we'll say, in this respect, in this respect, it's like a bachar. How so? Just like bachar, his status, right? His status ultimately again earns him the quote unquote right of first, or first rights of yibum. So the immersive, afgadol gdulaso garmalo. Ultimately again, so to the oldest, so we'll say, in other words, when, what we're seeing over here is when the Torah uses the word bachar by yibum, it's not coming to go ahead and highlight what we'll call the titular Bukhar, right? The actual halachic firstborn. Bukhar just means the oldest brother. And the way the Torah is coming to tell us is the mitzvah of Yibam begins with oldest brother. He doesn't want to do anything. Go down the list of brothers. No one wants to do Yibam. Go back up to the first brother. Say, you have to make a decision. To which the Yimars ve'ema, Maybe it means like this. Maybe it means like this. So the Gemara says, why don't we say, when the Bechar does Yibum, that's when the Yavam gets, that's when the Yavam gets inher- the, the Nachala, the inheritance, the portion of the deceased brother. Maybe if someone, another brother other than the Bechar, does Yibum, maybe he doesn't get inheritance. So, okay, so now we've established that any brother could do Yibum. 
But maybe the, the yibum of a Bukhar is different than the yibum of any other brother. How so? Financially. That it's only when the Bukhar does yibum that ultimately gets nachan. Why would we say that? Because remember, the Pasuk we darshan before was, was, uh, We already established that shame means what? Shame means what? Shame means nachala. So maybe it's only when the Bukhar does yibum that he gets the inheritance of the deceased brother. When any other brother does yibum, he fulfills the mitzvah, but he doesn't get the nachala. To which the Gemara says, Amakra, Yakum Ashem Achiv. The Pasik says, no, the Pasik talks about whoever does Yibum, ultimately again, Yakum Ashem Achiv inherits the deceased brother, Vaharikam. And at the end of the day, whoever fills that role of doing Yibum, by definition, gets the Nachala. Ella, Bechar de Karye Rahmana Ahmad Bez. So we'll say, here's the problem. So now we'll say, essentially, what we've done is, we've shown that what? That Bukhar in this Pasuk means everything but Bukhar. So why do you use the word? In other words, why, why, just say Gadol. Just say Gadol. Why do you keep saying Bukhar? To which the Gemara says, it's actually coming Ligriusa. They both say, this is actually incredible. The use of the word Bukhar is actually coming to limit the inheritance rights of the surviving brother. So I'll say, so here's what we have. When a, when a brother does, so right, Ruvain passes away without children, leaves behind a, a widow, Rachel. Shimon does Yibum with Rachel. When Shimon does that, he fully inherits Ruvain. He fully inherits Ruvain. So I will say, now that you are saying, the Torah uses the word Bechar to describe, to describe Ruvain, the Yavam, and it's coming to describe his inheritance rights. And in fact, what it's doing is it's coming to limit his inheritance rights. That when Ruvain inherits his deceased brother Shimon, he inherits like a Bachar. What's unique about a Bachar? Ma Bachar eno notel berai kibemuchsak, apu eno notel berai kibemuchsak. Rebosei, I want to point out something amazing to you. When we speak about inheritance, Rebosei, so again, in this case, very simple case, right? Right, Shimon's passing, I'm sorry, Ruvain's passing away. He leaves behind a widow, Rachel. Right, no complicated cases, no Suffolk Kiddushin, no sisters, no mothers, no mothers-in-law, nothing, right? So just a regular marriage, right? Ruvain passed away, leaves behind the wife, Rachel. Shimon does Yibum. So what have we established? What have we established? That Aloha Lameisa, Shimon inherits Ruvain. Now I will say, just want to point out, it's actually a double inher- potential inheritance. How so? Ruvain's going to fully inherit, sorry, Shimon is going to fully inherit Ruvain's estate. That's number one. We'll say, to make it a bit more complicated, let's say their father Yaakov is still alive, right? So ultimately, Ruvain predeceased his father. And let's say Ruvain himself was the Bechar. So now, when Shimon inherits Ruvain, he not only inherits Ruvain's present estate, but ultimately what? When Yaakov, the father, passes away, so Shimon inherits his portion as a brother, and he's going to inherit Reuven's portion in the father's estate as well. So I will say, so again, if Reuven was the Bukhar, that effectively means that when Yaakov, the father, dies, Shimon is going to emerge with three portions of the estate. The Pishnayim of Reuven, and ultimately, again, the Chilik of himself. Now I will say, but here's the thing. When a Bechar inherits, right? When a Bechar inherits, a Bechar's Pishnaim is capped at what we call Muchzak. Okay, so just let, let's finish just a moment. Let's say again, let's say again, um, Yaakov passes away, right? Yaakov passes away, Yaakov has two sons, right? Reuven and Shimon. Reuven is the Bechar. Reuven gets Pishnaim. I will say, Reuven only gets double portion in assets that his father currently has possession of. That's called mochzak. He does not get a double portion in what's called ra'oi. Ra'oi are things that, let's say, Yaakov, the father, was entitled to. The simplest example of this was, he has a million dollars in outstanding debts, meaning money owed to him. He's a million dollars. Pishnayim doesn't touch that. Pishnayim only looks at what is, is only, or I should say, Pishnayim only applies to what the estate owns at the time of death. That's called muhsak, what it's currently holding on to. But anything it's entitled to, ultimately, again, Pishnaim, the double portion, does not go ahead. And I will say, the rest of the sons, in other words, the re- that, that is part of inheritance. 
But when calculating the double portion of the Bechar, it's only based on what the estate, the father currently is in possession of at the time of death, not anything the estate is actually owed. So this is incredible. The Gemara says, the Yavam, back to our Yibam case. Ruvain dies, leaves behind a widow, no children. Shimon comes along and does Yibam. Shimon inherits, Shimon now inherits his deceased brother Ruvain. What does Shimon inherit? He inherits like a Bachar. Like a Bachar, which means he only inherits the estate of Ruvain, ultimately that Ruvain owned, that, that the estate owned, Muchzak but not anything that the estate was entitled to. Those monies will be dispersed or dispensed amongst other inheritors. Look at Rashi. This is incredible. So the Gemara says, only inherits Pishnaim based on what the, what the estate owns at the time of death. Sefer Abosai, if we bring this all together, it's actually quite exciting. Sefer, let's work backwards. The Torah calls the Yavam a Bechar. Calls the Yavam a Bechar. Now, Abosai, so again, what do we establish? The Mitzvah of Yibum is upon who? All of the brothers. All of the brothers. Who does the Mitzvah of Yibum begin with? Who does it begin with? The oldest brother. And Abaye says, if the oldest brother doesn't want to do anything, we go down, 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 down. No one wants to do anything. Go back up to the Bukhar, say Bukhar, now you have to choose Yibum or Chalitza. But but again, how do we, but again, we'll, well, good. we'll see in just a moment that if one of the brothers jumped in and skipped the order and did Yibum, that works because the midst of Yibum devolves upon all of the brothers. I, if that's the case, then why go ahead and call the Yavam a Bukhar? Because it's so misleading and it makes it sound like the midst of Yibum only applies to the Bukhar. Oh, because it's coming to tell you that the brother who does Yibum, his inheritance rights are like what? Are like a Bachar. Just like a Bachar only gets double portion and Muchzak, that which the estate owns, and not Roi, that which the estate is owed, so too again the, the Yavam brother only inherits that which his deceased brother owned and not what he's, and not ultimately what the estate is entitled to. And I both say, this is how the Rambam Paskins in Hilchos Yibam Vachalitza Parak Beis Halach Avav. Here we go. It's very important. Achim Rabim. Person, person passed away and left by many brothers. Mitzvah al Hagodol liyabim. That's Loshon the Rambam. The mitzvah is upon the oldest brother to do Yibam or Chalitza. Shneimar v'haya habechor asher teilet. Says, Bechar doesn't mean Bechar. Bechar means oldest. Good. So I say, ultimately, again, then the Rambam says, What if the oldest brother doesn't want to do Yibum? We go through all the other brothers. If none of the other brothers want to do anything, we go back to the Godel. We say to him, Mitzvah o Lachlots o Yabim. Ultimately, again, you gotta do something. Chalitz or Yibum. The Rambam says, "Ven kofin es haYavam liYabim." We don't force the Yavam to do Yibum. Aval kofin also lachlotz. Sevo said, "We won't force him to do Yibum, but if he's not going to do Yibum, we do force him to what? To do chalitza." In other words, you gotta do something. God says, "Not fair to this woman. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision." Incredible. Sevo said, "Beautiful, beautiful." Let's go back. Sevo said, "Now we get into a fascinating sugya. Listen to this." This is a little bit of a, of a totally different topic, and you're going to see how it relates to Yavamas in just a moment. This is incredible. Hanitan ala shivcha v'neshtachra. I both say, watch this. Look at Rashi. This, this is incredible. This is, I don't know if I mentioned this. is an incredible sugya. Look at Rashi. Hanitan chashub. Listen to this. I both say, let's say there are rumors about a man that is having an illicit relationship with a shivcha. Not a Jewish woman. So there's, there's, there's the right, there's rumors. Nitan means there are rumors. We'll call him Ruvain. That Ruvain is having a relationship with a shivcha, a non-Jewish maidservant. They're both saying a legal relationship. Finish and then she's emancipated. Then I will say, what happens when a shivcha is emancipated? What happens? She becomes Jewish, right? Oh, Or what happens? There are rumors that he's having a relationship with a non-Jewish woman, and she converts. So what's the halacha? Hare ze lo yichnos. I will say the halacha is. Ultimately, again, this man, Ruvain, should not marry any of these women. Why not? Why not? Because we'll say, if he marries them, what does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like it confirms the earlier rumor. Right? So again, it looks, if he marries, so it, looks like she's marrying, it looks like they're confirming the earlier rumor. 
right, but ultimately, if he did marry them, let's say he marries the non-Jewish woman who converts, or he marries the shidduch who is emancipated, okay, we don't force them to get divorced. Okay, fine, because it's just a rumor. Listen to this, I will say, what happens if there was a rumor that a man committed adultery? Right, Ruvain, that Ruvain had an affair with Shimon's wife. And what happens? Now, this is fascinating. So now what happens? Beisdin gets involved. And as a result, Beisdin made Shimon divorce his wife. Now, again, we'll discuss the mechanics of that. So Beisdin made Shimon divorce his wife. And then we'll see what happens. Then what happens? Ruvain marries Shimon's wife. Right, so remember again, Ruvain marries the woman about who there were rumors that he was having an affair. In that case, even though Ruvain married her, ultimately, again, we force him to divorce her. Now look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says over here, Now we're going to have to see the exact mechanics of this case. According to Rashi, the reason why Ruvain has to divorce her is because when a woman commits adultery, she's prohibited to her husband and to the man with whom she committed adultery. So therefore, again, in this case, now again, the mechanics of this case we have to see. But two different cases. So case number one is a man is rumored to have had a relationship with a non-Jewish woman. She subsequently becomes Jewish. So what do we say to such a person? What is such a person? You should not marry this woman. Because right? it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look right. It just does not look right. There were rumors. It doesn't look right. But if he married her, if he married her, legitimate marriage. Case number two, there were rumors that a Jewish man had an affair with a Jewish woman, with someone else's wife. Then again, Bezdin steps in. Why Bezdin steps in? How Bezdin steps in? We'll see. Forces, forces the man to divorce his wife. Right? And then she marries the guy with whom she was alleged to have the affair. In that case, Mishra says, no, 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 no. We don't allow that. We force him to divorce her. Okay, let's analyze. Here's what's interesting. Let's go back for just a second. Let's look at this case. This is an interesting case. Let's go back to the first case. So Ruvain, there are rumors that Ruvain is having an affair. Not an affair. He's having a relationship with a non-Jewish woman. Okay. And then she converts. And then she converts. So the Mishnah says... Ultimately, again, he shouldn't marry her. But if he married her, we don't make them get divorced. The Gemara says, well, here's what's interesting about this. Apparently, if she went ahead and she converted, that conversion works. Now, the Gemara is surprised about that. Why? Because shouldn't we be concerned that why did she convert? Why did she convert? For this guy. Rashi says over here, so the Gemara says, come on. I will say, you know, you have to be down the kaf schus, but not down the kaf shtus. Right? So in other words, so, so at the end of the day, come on. Right? This man is having this relationship with this non-Jewish woman. Suddenly she has inspired and has such an interest in Yiddishkeit. It's incredible how that happens. Right? And suddenly again now she has this renewed interest. So she goes ahead and she converts. The Gemara says, come on. Come on. We know why she's converting. We know why she's converting. Yet the Mishnah seems to indicate that her conversion is legitimate. Even though we know that what is motivating her conversion is not a love of God, but it's probably a love of Ruvain. So the Messiah yet the conversion works. So the Messiah says, is that true? Or many, listen to this. If a man converts to marry a woman, or a woman converts to marry a man, or I will say someone converts because again, he thinks he's going to become wealthy. He thinks he's going to become wealthy. Or, Lushum Abdi Shlomo. Same idea. But remember again, we saw the Gemara before. Abdi Shlomo, who were non Jewish, ultimately were incredibly wealthy as well. So, in other words, the guy is converting because he thinks there's some type of financial reward. So, the West Halacha, Einon Gerim Dereb Nechemia. Rabbi Nechemia says this is an invalid conversion. Invalid conversion. Because at the end of it, the Gemara says, Sharab Nechemia Omer, Echad Gere Arayos. Right, I will say this goes back to the Kusim. Whether someone went ahead and converted to escape the outbreak of lions, I will say that's the case we had before, right? In other words, they escape to avoid danger. I'm sorry, they convert to escape danger. Vechad Gere Chalomos. So I will say this is interesting. Or someone who converts because of dreams, right? In other words, I will say somebody converts because they think God is talking to them. Or somebody has some dreams of grandeur of what Judaism is going to do for them. Vechad Gere Mordechai Esther. This is how I will say. What's Gary Mordechai the Esther? Gary Mordechai the Esther means people who convert in the aftermath of Jewish victory. 
right? In other words, converting when Jews are on top, right? Everybody wants to be part of the winning team. Enam Gerim. Ultimately, again, they're not converts. Ad Sheyiskairu Bazmanazeh. Until people convert in this time. This time, listen to this. Essentially, we only accept converts when, this is incredible, when Jews are persecuted. Right? In other words, if you want to join us when we're on top, we don't accept you. Because there's a shadow about the legitimacy of such a conversion. You can only join Klali Yisrael when Klali Yisrael is like a shtigal underdog, right? When, when, there, when, there, when, there's, when there are challenges, when there, when there are difficulties. So the Gemara says, Ha'itmar Allah. So we'll say, so what do you see from here? What do you see from here? Yeah. That Allah conversion is only legitimate if what? If you know with absolute certainty that it is free of any ulterior motives. But if Halacha Lamaisa, a person is, is converting in order to get married, person is converting in order to be wealthy, person is converting because whatever, you know, it will say, so ultimately any ulterior motive undermines the legitimacy of the conversion. But yet from the Mishnah, it sounds like if this woman, this non-Jewish woman converted for the sake of marrying Ruvain, it works. It works. So what's going on over here? Kulam Gerim. Ultimately, and I will say that the halacha follows the one who says, if a person converts, even if they convert for ulterior motives, the gerus is good. Now, I will say, there's an important qualifier in that, which is that if a person converts and there are ulterior motives, but they still have, they have an acceptance of Kabbalah's own mitzvos, Kabbalah's own machusha, they accept Hashem, they accept mitzvos, even though there may have been an ulterior motive, that is when the conversion is. I will say this is a very, very, very complicated topic because the notion, ultimately, again, of conversion with ulterior motives is a very dangerous thing. But Lamaisa, what the Gemara is saying, just on a simple level, is yeah, if somebody converts for, for ulterior motives, but, but the proper motivations are also, in other words, I will say, what the Gemara is acknowledging is that maybe someone could have ulterior motives, but at the same time, what? Same time, what? have the proper motivations as well. In other words, it could be that this woman is, is converting ultimately to marry this man, but at the same time is also willing to accept Hashem, willing to accept mitzvos. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, If that's the case, then why not just accept them? Well, so listen to this. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, ultimately, again, remove... So we'll say, so if that's the case, if that's the case that if you convert for ulterior motives, then if this man is rumored to go ahead and have the relationship with this non-Jewish woman, then just convert her. Then just convert her, be done with it. To which the Gemara says, no, Ravasi says no, because the Pasuk, I will say, the Gemara quotes over here from Mishle, literally, again, remove from yourself crookedness of mouth, the lazus svasaymen, dishonesty of lips. Yeah, we'll say, when it comes to Yeris, we have to be honest about what we're doing. And to convert people just for the sake of marriage is an inappropriate and dishonest process. So the Gemara just says, Now listen to this. In the Messianic era, we will not accept converts. This is incredible. And I will say, this goes to what we said before. In the Messianic era, we won't accept converts because again, what's going to happen? We, don't, we only accept converts when there is a challenge to being Jewish. But in the Messianic era, where there is no challenge to being Jewish, right? Whatever is going to happen in Mosa Mashiach, the world will see the greatness of Klal Yisrael. So we're going to be on top. In whatever way, we're going to be on top. But Lamaisa, we don't accept converts in the Messianic era. Historically, they didn't accept converts during the times of David HaMelech, during the times of Shlomo HaMelech, Amr Abi Eliezer, Maikra, Hain Gor Yagor Efes Meosi Migari Tak Alecha Yipal. So we'll say, ultimately, again, what's the Pasuk that seemingly supports this? The Pasuk that supports this, the Gemara says, if you look at Rashi for just a moment, whoever dwells with you in your times of oppression, ultimately, again, will dwell with you in times of greatness and bracha. So the Gemara highlighting is the idea is, if you want to be part of the team, you got to be part of the team when times are tough. Right? You can't just get in when Mashiach swoops in and suddenly Claudius for everything is going great. Just like in the times of David, they didn't accept Gerim. In the times of Shlomo, they didn't accept Gerim. If you want to be a member of Claudius Yisrael, you have to join even in the midst of difficult times. So therefore, I will say, to kind of close out this piece, what the Gemara is acknowledging is 
there's a rumor that this man is having a relationship with a non-Jewish woman. Suddenly, ta-da, she's Jewish, right? She's Jewish. So the Mishnah says that he shouldn't marry her because it confirms the rumor. The Gemara says, marrying her, one second, let's talk about her conversion. Are you telling me that her conversion is actually legitimate? But don't we have to be concerned that there was a conversion for ulterior motives? To which the Gemara says, yes, it probably was for ulterior motives. But Lamaisa, we passing that even if someone converts for ulterior motives, as long as the core theological components of the conversion are intact. Kabbalas acceptance of Hashem. Kabbalas o mitzvos, acceptance of mitzvos. We don't like such a conversion, but technically speaking, such a conversion. I'll just end off very quickly one last piece. The Maril, the Maril says something incredibly beautiful based on this Gemara. He says the same way that when Mashiach comes, we're not going to accept Gerim, we won't accept converts. The Maril writes, listen to this. He says, he also can't do tshuva when Mashiach comes. Right? Because the same way you can only convert when there's a theological challenge, you can only do tshuva when there's a theological challenge as well. If the worship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu becomes crystal clear and there's no challenge, nothing bombarding it, the Maril says, you can't be makabal gerim when Mashiach comes, you can't do tshuva when Mashiach comes. And therefore, again, the Maril said, Vamar, Musr Mishumze Sheimaher Kol Adam Loshov. That's it, Rabbi I have to do tshuva today. Whatever is outstanding. Because I always say, don't wait for Mashiach each and every day. And someone who doesn't do Mashiach does some, doesn't do tshuva before. Yavo Mashiach Mehera Biyamenu Shuv Lo Matzi Loshov VYishar Chas Shalom Bechatov. So says the Mariel, when Mashiach comes, there's no Geirim. Mashiach comes, there's no Tshuva. And therefore I will say, if there is work we have to do, maybe Zohar Mir Hashem to do that Tshuva work today. Shkai, I will say.